Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Jess Grace Garcia. I am a filmmaker, music producer, worship pastor. And although I feel six foot two, I am actually five foot two. <laughs> I support that delusion for you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm sure everyone will be shocked. They often are when they see me in person. <laughs> and you are? I'm Jack Bates, drag queen, theologian, comedian. And I like to think of myself as something of a closed-minded person. Like, I never believed in Santa Claus. I don't believe in astrology. And I will never believe in Australia. Oh my gosh, Australia. Like, it just, what? if you think about it, it just is so obviously made up. <laughs> There's like this whole <laughs> landmass floating on the water on the upside-down part of the world. And people are like inexplicably attractive and they speak vaguely Britishly and the the land is filled with fantastical and dangerous creatures like it sounds like Lord of the Rings stop next thing you know you're gonna tell me you're a flat earther <laughs> well I mean that's part of what doesn't make sense like how does Australia just not fall off oh my god no I'm like vehemently anti-flat earth <laughs> Because, like, I'm a medievalist by training, and they didn't believe that the Earth was flat in the Middle Ages. This was right. a slander against them for centuries before that, like, even before the time of Jesus. People knew not only that the Earth was round, they had a pretty good idea of the Earth's dimensions. Why do we go backwards, like, as societies? Like, why does that happen? It makes me really nervous when I think about our culture right now as we continue to progress and grow. I go, fuck, but there's a lot of people going backwards. <laughs> Let's hope that we're the ones that are the majority, or at least the majority in charge, not really the actual physical majority, because we know how that works. Yeah, right. Optimism is a temptation that I sometimes find myself giving into. Like, <laughs> like, Roy on the Clock 2016, I was like, of course Hillary's going to win. Lol. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But I feel like I, I've thought about conspiracy theories some, and there's a, there's a prominent late ancient early medieval scholar um, whose works I used in my PhD studies. And he ended up kind of going off the deep end as far as conspiracy theories go. Um, among oh, other things, he believed that the pyramids were ancient alien weapons, like Death Star style. They could destroy planets. I think, I think a lot of it comes down to control. Like if you mm. if you feel like oh the masses are deceived, but like I know what's really going on. It I feel like it gives you a measure of a sense of control when everything feels out of control right that's a really that's a really good point i'm gonna have to agree with you on that i think historians are like particularly prone to believing conspiracy theories because just like i did with the flat earth thing just now i'm constantly having to tell people uh well everything you think you know about that time period is actually wrong right and so it it lends itself to like oh what most people believe is wrong and like we few elite like we know what the real shit is mm, gotcha yeah because i was just thinking about that cult i mean you know throwing back to our cult episode um the cult that was run by gosh what did they call themselves i'm forgetting it was um a woman and a man who believed that they were um that they saw aliens and that they were going to go off to this promised land mm -hmm. and they needed to save like a certain amount of people. And, uh, they were called, uh, dough and T. What about Ray, me, Fasola and the <laughs> other dough? They what happened 100%. to them? <laughs> the people demand to know. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, they actually d- did a little song, like wrote the wrote new lyrics for that song um, in celebration of their leaders. Um, but all of the people in this cult were brilliant. Like they were some of the first like computer engineers um, and some of the first Internet like company owners. Like they did some big stuff. It's how they were able to survive mm. financially. And um, they still all ended up taking, I mean, it wasn't actual Kool-Aid. I'm not sure what it was, but they, they all (laughs) went into the deep sleep. um, I think there were 39 of them at the same time. And they left a couple people behind to like tell the truth about what they had done. And it blows my mind that at some point, People who are brilliant, their delusion of being, because they are some of the best minds, all of a sudden they really truly believe they're the best minds. Right. And then they go overboard. Yeah. Heaven's Gate, I think the cult was was Heaven's Gate. Yes. Thank you. I'm always like this. I can remember like all these little weird details, (laughs) but not the like major detail being the actual name of yeah i mean i had to google it because like the the weird detail that or the detail that my mind stuck on was that it was the hale bob comet that they were gonna like ride to the promised land yes it's interesting because i kind of feel like this is a good place to transition because in talking about like i know you've told me just a little bit that i need to know which is that our subject today is about faith Mm -hmm. In talking about faith, like, it takes a lot of fucking faith (laughs) to believe in that. So when does faith become delusion? (laughs) (laughs) Or is it the same? (laughs) Oh, God. But it's interesting to think about Mm -hmm. because some people would look at what we believe in. And I know you and I obviously have even differences in what we we believe in. But like, as Christians... And they would say, y'all are, y'all are crazy. You think there's some person up in the sky who created all of us and is entertained by us and cares about our individual lives? Like, atheists often think we're, we're really full of shit. Yeah. You know? And yet I would believe that an atheist, like, I respect atheism. I respect a lot of different religions and their perspectives. But I don't think they would like being called a religion. <laughs> I know. And that's the thing. Like for me, I feel like I, I say this kind of jokingly, but I think like it does take a lot of faith. You might use a different word to like believe that nothing is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's, you know, that's not meant to be a judgment in any shape or form, but it's just the, where I landed Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's almost easier for me to believe in what I do believe in than to try and wrap my head around the idea that there is no God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Or even God feels limiting to reference to what we believe in at this point, like a name as just God. <laughs> I'm like, wait, can we define like a little bit further? But anyway, I didn't want to hijack where you want to start but it just seemed like an interesting transition hijack hi jess <laughs> do we want to do banter or just dive into the topic i feel like we just did but instead we bantered about <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i'm i'm down for uh just diving into the topic so like we're, we're talking about faith i'm gonna do the annoying philosopher question what is faith like how did our previous faith context talk about it? How do we think about it now? You know, I should have looked up like what the Webster's dictionary definition is for faith. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, faith is believing in something that is not proven. Like there is no scientific evidence there's no tangible evidence to say this is real. It's it's just having it's through experiences 
that you've had and having faith that the, that, that is true. Um, and that's not even just in a religious aspects, like maybe like having faith in a partner, having faith in their love for you. Mm-hmm. Like there are, there is evidence in their experiences, but there's nothing tangible. There's no scientific proof that they love you or that they're going to keep loving you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it might be a simple definition, but that's kind of where my head goes. What about you? Well, the other Hebrews talks about faith as being the evidence of things not seen. So I think that something similar, like, I feel like faith is a way of knowing or trying to come to knowledge of things that we can't, actually, not that we can't, but just that we don't or haven't seen. Yes, yes. that's one of the good. objects of my faith is that uh, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea that was occupied by Jesus of Nazareth was deoccupied three-ish days after it was occupied. And that is, it was in principle, like, uh, empirically verifiable. But mm. now it isn't. And it's something that I believe based on the testimony of people, uh, first being the women who are at the tomb Easter Sunday, um, that I believe that their testimony is reliable. Right. It's interesting you bring up Easter Sunday, and I think we're, we're just a couple weeks from it, and I'm a little bit stressed out. (laughs) Because <laughs> as a music director at a church, Easter and Christmas are the two of the biggest days. Mm-hmm. And like they require a lot of a lot of work and a lot of there's a lot of pressure that it goes smoothly. Mm-hmm. And I've been it's been interesting because Easter used to be this day that I could like really just kind of relax, kick back, maybe cook a little bit, most likely just like hang with family. And now I can't even think about that stuff (laughs) because all I'm thinking about is the music side of things. Right. But it has been really cool to be in a tradition like UCC where they're talking about the things that matter in relation to Easter, like thinking about Jesus as if they were in the present day mm-hmm. and like kind of some of the ideas around that. And it's been really cool. Cause it's kind of like, it's kind of refreshed my perspective. Like our community has done a good job of that. It's cool to see straight folks doing it too, uh-huh. basically because our community is very queer And it's cool to see them practicing their faith in a way that says like Jesus stood for justice and like Mm -hmm. talking about immigration and all of these things like around and like LGBTQ issues and like trans issues. Like I'm like, see, this is how faith should look. Yeah. Like how instead of just, I think like, Growing up, my faith was very, believe in this thing that's like for the future, like believe in this future heaven, believe in this, like all of the things that you are sacrificing right now Mm. are going to be worth it because you get to be with Jesus. And there wasn't a lot of emphasis on the here and now, Mm -hmm. like heaven on earth. Um, and I don't know. I feel like that's one way that I've really appreciated how my faith has grown, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was been thinking along similar lines as was preparing for this episode. Like one of the things that really stuck out to me about how faith was talked about in like church growing up. Um, and even through like, uh, Christian college and seminary was like this idea of faith as trust. Like a, a common metaphor was like, 
you when you go to sit on a chair, you have faith that the chair is going to support you. Like you don't know that it will like to 100% certainty, but you show your belief by that action of like relying on the chair to hold you up. And the application was like, so you should trust Jesus to like save you. So you sh shouldn't like try to work your way into God's good graces and you should trust God to provide for you those sorts of things. And thinking about those, like I actually feel like I'm still sort of on board with that kind of broadly speaking, um, still a Protestant, still believe in salvation by faith alone through grace alone, Christ alone. Um, and I still believe that we should trust God to provide. Um, that's been complicated by, you know, witnessing and experiencing uh, horrors in the world. And like, how does this square with divine providence? Okay, we'll table that for now. <laughs> yeah, right. But I do feel like one of the things that was missing was if those evangelical leaders had put their trust in Jesus, I think that they would have been more active helping, you know, the poor, immigrants, widows and orphans. And, you know, LGBTQ people, they'd mm -hmm. be saying Black Lives Matter. You know, all these things that I think would be, they'd be showing their belief, their trust, but they're not doing these things. Well, and, and that's like, not to blanket too much, but I think that there are the folks that have come through in the, in progressive Christianity as leaders and deconstructed folks who um who are kind of taking a step forward i feel like that's why is because they actually cared about helping people and mm -hmm. they and their heart and their faith they felt like it was being limited like they weren't being able to to step forward with faith in action basically right and in some cases that took them away from the faith because they kind of blamed the faith for not um, doing anything which i mean can can you blame them for that like not at all <laughs> um not at all. And so like, it's understandable that one of the things that has always been interesting to me has been kind of that middle ground where people who are, especially with LGBTQ issues are really stuck because they put themselves into a mindset where they've said, well, I do care for these folks and I care for them so much that I'm just concerned. They're not going to make it mm -hmm. and I'm going to do everything I can to help them to make it so there are folks that are in the ex-gay movements who actually have good hearts who really really or really really care for queer folks they just they believe <laughs> they believe the wrong thing if i'm being honest like they believe that that for some reason they need to be this like pure fully repentant every day all day on their knees kind of person to be accepted into heaven and those folks, those people, I feel really bad for them mm -hmm. because they they are beating the shit out of themselves. It's not like they're just feeling that way about other people. Most of those people that have decent hearts are the people that feel like shit about themselves. And then they're concerned about others also. Mm -hmm. And then they're paired right next to all the narcissists who think that they're <laughs> totally perfectly fine and everyone else needs to get on board. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's why the church has so many people because of shame and all that shit. So anyway, I don't want to go down that path, but it, <laughs> it's just it's just interesting to think about faith in action because, like, from my perspective, my dad was a missionary, so a lot of his faith was in action, mm -hmm. but he still held on to the belief pretty close to when he died to when he died that being queer was a sin mm -hmm. you know being and, queer or acting out hmm yeah probably that and that that was 
something that I needed to just keep in check. And it's just interesting because like, I don't know where he finally landed. Um, I do feel like he now, like I feel his presence and I feel his love and approval and support in a lot of what I'm doing because now I think the, the veil. Yeah. Yeah. Has been pulled from his eyes. So yeah, I think now that he's, he's got some clarity, um, I feel his support, but on, on earth, I think he was still under that delusion, Mm -hmm. you know? And, but my dad was one of my dad and my mom, both were great examples of faith in action. Mm -hmm. They were constantly serving and, and loved caring for folks and understanding folks. Like they were missionaries. They were evangelists. And I would say they also, I mean, they both joined, (laughs) they met each other at AA and then they rejoined to have like that same connection Mm -hmm. later in life and to also connect with people and to care for people. And I don't think my parents, the way that it, it appeared to me was not that they ever felt above anyone. And I really appreciated that because that's why I have such a heart for serving mm-hmm. and loving folks, you know? Yeah. What you said raised uh, a question for me that I hadn't prepared beforehand. I don't know what I think about. Uh, so talk about faith and action. So a lot of people from like our conservative backgrounds, like whether or not they act on it, they feel like they have an obligation to show people like us, queer Christians, etc., uh, social justice warriors, as they like to say, they mm-hmm. feel an obligation to show us the error of our ways. Do you think there is any any sense in which we should, or not should, because I'm trying to get out of obligation language and my ethics, because I think it's a, a lower sort of ethics, but do you think there's a way in which our coming to more fully reflect the divine would involve going back to some of these spaces and calling them to repentance. I think we've touched a little bit on this before. And what I'm first thinking of is I think that there are some people who are called to be in the thick of things with conservatives Mm -hmm. and with evangelicals and to have those conversations more regularly. But I don't think those people should often be <laughs> queer. I think they often are. Yeah. Um, I would hope that more allies would do the hard work of being in those spaces because it, it's very hurtful and it can be a very um, triggering and traumatic experience that can stunt growth mm-hmm. for queer folks. I think... For some, it's maybe a part of your life sort of thing. Like, I spent 10 years away from the church. I did a lot of healing during that time. I'm coming back, you know, into the church now in these spaces where they're having conversations around things that I'm far beyond. Like, mm-hmm. I've I've done the work, you know <laughs> what I mean? But now I'm doing my best to be patient and to try and help them to grow. Mm-hmm. I think I'm a pretty strong person, but that has been hard for me. Mm-hmm. So I can't even imagine like being constantly thrown back into like a really conservative space and having conversations and being like, y'all need to repent. Like y'all <laughs> need to get your shit together, man. Like, come on. Like, do you really think you're experiencing like the fullness of God and the fullness of the Holy spirit right now? Like, I am experiencing incredible things and I have so much to offer you. Like trying to use their language, right. like, please, <laughs> like, please come join us. <laughs> <laughs> Experience the fullness of God. And um, I don't know. It's just an interesting, you know, I'm, I'm sure I know there are people out there doing that work, but I don't know if, if I'm there, like I could be that person for sure. I don't know. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, th- I'm thinking less the sort of like large or even medium scale advocacy, but more like 
you know, one-on-one, you know, having those sort of coffee dates that like a lot of queer Christians have come to dread. Oh my gosh. If we started turning the coffee date. Oh, I love it. And like all of a sudden you're like, you know, I walk through the door and I sit down with you guys and they're like, oh my God, I didn't know someone else was going to be here. It's a trap. Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I'm just concerned about some of the things that I've been <laughs> seeing lately. How's your heart? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh well, like, I'm, I'm thinking about um, a guy in particular he was a really close friend when I was in a college and seminary and we've kind of lost touch in the inter- intervening <laughs> number of years uh, 10 mm. or so uh, since we were close and I think like he and his wife are like starting to come around to a, a more progressive way of seeing the world, of seeing Christianity. And I was thinking, should... Here I go, should again. <laughs> uh, you can take the boy out of the out of evangelicalism, but... Um, <laughs> like, could it be a part of my own growth in... Christ-likeness, godliness, to reach out to him and say, you know, I, I would really like to make the case for a, a more loving version of the faith than you've been practicing so far. Maybe not, maybe put in like more diplomatic ways, but to say, you know, can I can I pitch you like an LGBTQ affirming anti-racist, uh, anti-ableist feminist version of Christianity? Because I feel like you really benefit from it. I feel like God wants us to exercise faith in these kinds of ways. I think it's a great idea. And I think it's something that, it's a person that matters to you, which will make you actually inspired to potentially do it. But I definitely think it's something we should be do a lot of self-care around. Mm-hmm. Like prepare yourself as much as you can set yourself up to be around other really affirming and queer folks. Maybe set yourself up, up to be able to go to the Abbey afterwards. Like, yeah. I don't know, like something that, is going to affirm yourself really quickly afterwards. And I also think like maybe we only do it a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. Like we choose a couple people <laughs> that are worth that effort. For me, what it ends up being is often like a DM, like, like, hey man, uh just wanted to catch up with you. Like, it's been so long. I saw you comment on this thing. How are you doing? And that conversation results in them obviously telling me, How are you doing? And then me telling them about all my polygation. <laughs> Excellent. And then if they want to continue the conversation, then they continue the conversation. Mm -hmm. And then if it seems to be like a amicable, like we actually give a shit about each other, continued conversation, then I'm like, hey, let's grab coffee. Well, let's get lunch or hey, you want to do a Zoom date? And I would actually, now that I think about it, we did, I did that with a friend last year Mm -hmm. that I grew up with that was like uh, in my, in when I was in high school, she was a senior, I was a freshman and she was like, man, like I wanted to hang out with her all the time. And I, and it wasn't a queer crush. It was a hundred percent just like a, like this person felt like th- they could be like a big sister to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she took me under her wing a lot and she's done mission work in Russia and all these things. And, um, we ended up doing several zoom dates and like chatting about things. Her husband's a mission. I mean, they're both missionaries, you Mm -hmm. know, and they work with youth and, but it was cool to hear like about kind of like what you're talking about. They, they had grown a bit, like they had gotten into more progressive sides of things. They just hadn't fully dived in yet. Uh (laughs) (laughs) They were still functioning under conservative umbrella and stuff. And so I was like challenging them. Mm -hmm. 
like challenging her to have like these conversations and like acknowledge my spirituality, my, my faith being like real and solid. And I think that it, it was, I mean, I felt like she grew. I felt like I grew to be able to like have that conversation Mm -hmm. and not have it be harmful. But I think there are like different ways we can go about it. I think your way is more a you way, like to just straight up be like, Hey, can we have a conversation about this? I'd love to challenge you. I'm more of like a, Hey, I'm going to say, how are you doing? And feel you out and feel if you actually give a shit about me and then continue Mm -hmm. a conversation, you know? Yeah. Because I think it's a big step when someone can acknowledge that someone like you or I is Christian, especially from that world. Where people in the our previous circles, like where their starting point is like that is a big jump for them. It shouldn't be a big jump for anyone, <laughs> but it is it is a big jump. For sure. And then you tell them we might not believe in hell and they go, oh, crap. <laughs> like they're like, <laughs> oh, my God. What have I stepped into? <laughs> I mean, I would I would build the bridge by saying, like, I still sort of believe in hell, but I just believe that its occupancy is very different. Supposedly mm. like Southern Baptists. <laughs> <laughs> For you, when we're talking about, you know, faith and action, what are some of the ways that, like, You've seen that, um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is like the way that you felt faith in action represented was represented when you were younger Mm -hmm. versus the way that it's represented for you now. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think our listeners who are, have an evangelical background, like won't be shocked by this characterization, but like, I feel like, you know, it's going out and saving souls. Like that was the important thing that your faith was supposed to drive you to do like so like domestic evangelism and international missions like they were sort of the peak of christianity like those were the quote-unquote real christians and the rest of us are just sort of like fucking around um not domestic evangelism (laughs) (laughs) The first thing that flashed into my mind was was one of the times that we hung out outside a coffee shop for several hours and like basically, I mean, now that I look looking back on it, accosted people to have conversations with us that we really manipulated into gospel conversations. Oh, I know, right? Like it, it's so. I mean, you said it manipulative. Oh. Gross. <sighs> we. I mean, sorry. I should have put a trigger warning on that shit. <laughs> um i was gonna say we need to have as if i hadn't already planned it for months uh we should we should do our evangelism episode soon yes i feel like that's (laughs) a a, a natural sort of way to move on from this progress from this yeah yeah i feel like my faith in action now like i i go to a progressive uh episcopalian church in pasadena and a lot of it is like so social justice inflected like this is how uh we should perform our faith in action and i sort of i don't know supplement that with my own bits about like one of the things that i think that like my faith in action looks like is uh, making sure that I go to church so that I can partake of the Eucharist. Mm. Like, I believe that it's one of the ways that God wants to draw close to us. And so if we can, uh, I think it can be spiritually helpful to put ourselves in situations where we can take the Eucharist. Not that it's like the be all end all, but for me, it's part of it. How about you? That's cool. I didn't expect that answer. That's why I said it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you do love to do that. Hmm. I think 
I don't have a straight one answer, but something that is coming to mind is just how I am reclaiming worship and also reclaiming um, traditions. Mm. So for me as a worship leader, music director, I haven't done that um, like at all for 10, over 10 years. And then um, doing that over the past couple of years has been a lot of like internal work. And now there is this like just beauty in practice, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. just consistently getting up there and being vulnerable and being honest and putting in the time and the work and knowing that it makes a difference for more than just me. Mm -hmm. And then getting to engage in like things like liturgy, uh, the liturgy of, of it all, like Ash Wednesday and Advent and all these things that I, I didn't really, I mean, we had traditions growing up, but um, I'm, I'm basically starting new traditions for myself mm -hmm. that revolve around my faith and make more sense with what I believe in now. Mm -hmm. I like that. So, I want to go back to Easter just because it's what's on my mind right now since we're in this season. Mm -hmm. I, growing up, you know, Easter was like the epitome of it all. It was like probably bigger than Christmas because it was, this season was like the celebration of this, like the most major thing that Jesus died on the cross for all of mm -hmm. us. You know, it was this huge, weird dark emo celebration, right? Like, mm -hmm. and it was also a really heavy burden of like a huge reminder of all the shit that we put Jesus through. Yeah. Um, by the way, that's past tense belief. That isn't the way that I believe now. But if I was being asked to engage in that same thought around Easter, I would have a really difficult time. I didn't really enjoy going back to Easter services over the past 10 years before I had like um, better theology, mm. <laughs> better practices, better ideas around it all. And so um, that's been a really nice, it's been a really beautiful gift back to myself mm -hmm. um, in progressing in my theology around what Easter means to me because to me now the death of Jesus has so much more depth and I feel like I can actually relate to Jesus as a person mm. like I feel like I could be proud to call Jesus my friend your homeboy if I was yeah <laughs> in some ways yeah like I feel like I can see Jesus in our friend group like I can see Jesus as you know, even if, even if they weren't queer, which, you know, that's another episode, go back to queering Jesus. <laughs> um, even if they were like a, an ally, like the, it, they would, you know, be fighting and have more rainbow shirts than we do and be fighting harder than, <laughs> yeah. than, than some of us can handle and, and just be, um, be out there. And like, I would be like, constantly like concerned like hey jesus like come over like let's like make sure you're taking care of yourself like let's 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 feed you like what active <laughs> like what what march did you go to this time um you know like mm -hmm. i just feel like our jesus here and now would um would be willing to sacrifice anything for their friends mm -hmm. And I can see them being the person that for some reason police decided like was going, you know, or the government decided was going to be a big fucking issue and decided to start targeting. And like, to me, like, that's the way that I can like finally relate to Jesus. And I couldn't do that before. I couldn't. Mm -hmm. I just had a story about Jesus and yes, like for that time, that's what I needed. And that helped sustain my faith. 
But for at this point, with all the life that I've lived and all the things that I believe in now and my strong convictions, I needed to update my ideas Mm -hmm. around who Jesus is in order to hold on to my faith. Yeah, I've had something of a a similar journey. Like at, at this point, I feel like more more loved by god like you know it goes up and down based on the day and sure. how like if i remember to take my antidepressants um sure but like this thank god for jesus providing pharmaceuticals Amen. in that say and <laughs> that's funny i in this kind of like period of my life i feel like i feel loved by god more than and at any other time because like i've integrated you know my my gayness my transness into my identity like i've become a a more whole person show whole yeah and feeling god's love for all of me has been life-changing for me like you know i was knew christianity was true but i don't i don't know that i felt it it's truth until after i came out mm. uh the priest who is uh preaching the sermon this last weekend at my episcopal parish he preached on uh i think it's john 12 uh mary bethany breaks the the alabaster jar of perfume and anoints jesus with it and uh she wipes his feet with her hair and washes them with her tears and the disciples especially judas were like she shouldn't be doing that right jesus and jesus says leave her alone it reminded me of the end of aliens when ellen ripley says get away from her you bitch I was just thinking the way that you represented Judas made me feel like Judas was like this like jealous boyfriend. <laughs> it's like he's like, ew, like what is she doing? And like his boyfriend is bi, so he's feeling a little bit overwhelmed about it. And his boyfriend is Jesus. And Jesus is like <laughs> Jesus is like, stop, you're being you're being bi erasure right now. Like, stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way that felt to me, the way you just told that story. Stopping biphobic, Judas. No, I think I think John was Jesus' clingy boyfriend. Yeah. Um, only 49% joking. Judas was the friend who was like, who was crushing hard. But like he didn't have a chance. Yeah. And so then he took it out on him in the end. And so he grew bitter about it. Yeah. Yeah. Judas is jilted lover. <laughs> I'm, yes. I'm interested in exploring this reading. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll do another episode on Judas. We really should. How have we not? I know, right? Like Judas in in some circles is like a queer icon. Yeah. I, I really think we should have a conversation around it because I haven't been in those circles, mm-hmm. but I'm really curious mm-hmm. to have those conversations. We should we should find someone who, who believes that. <laughs> We should we should do more minisodes on just like you know querying little bits of scripture or the Ooh. tradition. Ooh, maybe we should make that a summer series. I'm down. I like that. Y'all, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> this is how much this is how much Jack and I don't get to see each other is that we just have to brainstorm on episode. So y'all are getting it live. <laughs> <laughs> so you know the sausage is made. We know a lot of you love sausages. I know I do. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry, lesbians. What were we even talking about? You, you can be a lesbian <laughs> like penises. <laughs> Some of my favorite women have penises. <laughs> Valid. Um, what were we talking about? We started talking about penises. I brought up penises and I got distracted. Yeah, you got, got you got distracted. distracted. I feel like another uh, sort of related way that I think my faith 
in action looks like is prioritizing my own like mental and emotional health like yes like pursuing therapy when i have the means to do so like i don't i don't want to pour shame anybody because for uh, a lot of my adult life like i needed therapy and i didn't have access to it um and another part is just kind of trying to do that growth in other ways like i recently read a, a new book on kind of attachment science and how it relates to our relationship with god it's called attached to god by crispin mayfield we we're like mutuals on twitter first and then he came out with his book it sounded amazing read it was amazing and it helped me first to realize like how i mean it shouldn't be profound but like how much my psychology affects the way that i experience my relationship with god mm. and like how you know pivotal events like especially you know my relationship with my parents has kind of given uh how i feel god feels about me the shape that it has it also helped me realize like how much of what i now consider to be really bad evangelical theology and practice were wrapped up in like attachment issues like a sort of anxious attachment style usually plays itself out in like uh sort of over scrupulousness about like not fucking up anything in the relationship I was like, oh my God, that is how they taught us to treat sin. And this is a this mm. is a uh, connection that Crispin draws himself in the book. Like the sort of, oh, don't don't sin once if you can, because like even one will jeopardize your relationship with God. Like God isn't like that. Like a good parent or guardian isn't even like that. Mm-hmm. Goodness, that sounds like such an abusive relationship. Right? When you start thinking about the evangelical Jesus as an abusive partner or an abusive parent, it really puts things into perspective. Yeah. I feel like God the Father was always depicted as like the violent abuser. And, you know... Mm -hmm gentle jesus meek and mild was sort of like the passive aggressive manipulator like i'm not mm -hmm. mad that you sinned i'm just disappointed exactly <laughs> <laughs> that just made me imagine moira rose as and you kind of jesus. go there with accent and i <laughs> <laughs> disappointed <laughs> <laughs> fake mid-atlantic <laughs> you're welcome everyone now moira rose is jesus uh, <laughs> yeah oof i haven't really it's interesting um so this is this feels a little off topic but i'm gonna circle it back around yeah go for it in you bringing that up and often in our conversations we have to go back and remember some of the things that we went through mm -hmm. and more and more recently i've been like wow i forgot that i believed that <laughs> wow i forgot that i went through that mm -hmm. you know yeah. because as i age i feel like things are healing in such a way that is kind of archiving some of those experiences and those memories mm -hmm. and, and putting them in a zip file and compressing them down. So they take <laughs> up less space. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was interesting because this morning, my girlfriend, she sent me a TikTok video that was about skin tag removal. And I've never talked to her about, or if I have, I don't remember talking to her about wanting to remove all the skin tags that mm -hmm. I have. And skin tags are results of like, insulin resistance because i'm diabetic and like a result of like um i think some people pcos have it as well i've never been diagnosed but most likely and also i've just known like my mexican grandma has a ton of them like on her neck and stuff mm -hmm. so i just figure like that's why i have them i used to think about it all the time they used to drive me nuts i used to like pick at them 
I used to like almost hurt myself because I was thinking about them all the mm. time. I forgot that I had skin tags when she sent me that video. I was watching it and I was like, oh, skin tag. I have skin tags. And I had to remember. And all of a sudden I got distracted by looking at all my skin tags and going, wow, I didn't realize that was there. I didn't realize that was there. And I had to take a moment while I was inspecting myself, which was not Jana's intention in any way, shape or form, I'm mm -hmm. sure. But I had to take a moment and be like, okay, wait a second. Instead of inspecting the fuck out of our bodies, can we take a moment and go, oh, wow, you forgot. You didn't even notice that you had additional skin tags because you're so used to celebrating yourself now. Mm -hmm. You're so used to celebrating your body and celebrating yourself that you were not being overly critical, that you missed this. And it just seems, it feels very similar to like this idea that like, I'm going to celebrate the ways in which I've grown. Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of cool, like on the more optimistic side of this, when we go back and we think about all the ways that like we engaged with evangelicalism or it was put upon us and we had right. to experience, you know, God, the father being an abusive personality that we justified for our first 20 30 years whatever mm -hmm. and to like realize that we we're not in that place anymore mm -hmm. and we're also providing an opportunity for other people to experience healing and have a healing relationship with maybe god the father god the friend and like realize that that god that was handed to us that faith that structure that was given to us was flawed and was broken and right. that we have the control to move beyond it mm -hmm. and grow. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm feeling very reflective right this minute. In some ways I still find it difficult to believe that like I believed and did the things that I did as expressions of Christianity. And I think part of that is probably like complex PTSD, which like most of us queer people probably have. Right. Right. And like a sort of, I don't know, dissociative, uh, defense mechanism, um, where we kind of split ourselves off from like our previous life. Um, really just airing all my psychological dirty laundry on air right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think part of it is, yeah, that just like so much growth has happened that it's it's hard to feel like I've made as much progress as I have, I guess. I feel like there's a, a human impulse to like, once things have been a certain way for a certain amount of time, you just feel like, oh, it's sort of always been this way. And you kind of forget how different things were before the kind of new normal. Like we're in year two plus of a, a pandemic. Like, I don't think about the ways in which life is different, like, too much just because, you know, new normal. It's exhausting <laughs> to think about that. But I think if I thought about it a lot, I'd probably be taken aback by how different things were. I know sometimes we have those kinds of experiences when we, like, when we watch something where it's like, oh, people just, like, got on a bus and nobody has masks on. Like, I mean, people in Orange County or Florida probably don't find that shocking. It's an experience they've had all along, but. <laughs> right. Oh, or like a crowded elevator. Like, I feel like yep. those scenes were so common in, you know, sitcom, like workplace sitcoms and stuff, because those can be so awkward and they're probably easy to film scenes like that. I haven't had the experience of being in a crowded elevator, like if a bunch of people are waiting to get on the elevator, like I wait for them to be done so I could go on like by myself yep. or with a 
like one or two other people. And you ju- you even jump to judgment, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. we are so quick to like be really harsh to those people and we're like oh we were those people <laughs> right <laughs> we didn't have a reason not to be and i feel like faith and practice can be kind of similar like it's yeah it's crazy to me now that like i was ever not lgbtq affirming but most of my life my faith looked like that because no I, I didn't know any better i was sort of enculturated into it and all the sort of shame dynamics that evangelicalism uses to keep you from leaving like those kept me from leaving for a long time it just feels like another life well and i think about like i mean you were even you were in leadership even during that i'm sure you consider that a lot of a transitional phase for you now but during that that era um, where you could recognize your queerness but still um, were not affirming of yourself, mm-hmm. I feel like that that era for me was really uh, it was it was shorter, but I did put shame on like my ex girlfriend at one point during that time, and that is one of my most like I'm not one that lives in regret. Mm-hmm. But that was one of my most regretful moments mm. because I put shame really heavily on, on her. Um, and I can literally look back on it now and be like, Oh, young Jess, like, <laughs> you were just jealous. <laughs> right. Um, and I can like think about, you know, like I can say that, but it's still hard to think about the fact that, you know, in order for me to believe in this, I needed everyone to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now it's like I live in such glorious freedom. And I get to know this incredible loving and accepting, all encompassing truly divine and i want to like share them i want the way that i felt when i was a kid and i was like oh i love church i love jesus you know this is such a fun place such a great time like as a little kid Mm -hmm. and i would tell everyone to come to church i like feel that but like times 10 now as as an adult like Mm -hmm. i can like i want people to know that they don't need to live a tortured life right that they that the god that made us made us well mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like you know why would you believe that god makes mistakes or that god would make us in a way that would mean that we need to live a tortured life in order to please them like that makes zero sense right. um and i just want people to like be here with like with me and get to experience this love of God, mm-hmm. like this real concept of love, because it's not just going to improve their faith. It's not just going to improve their relationship with God. It's going to improve their relationship with themselves. And it's going to improve their relationship with their families. And it's going to improve their relationship with their friends and their romantic partners. It's going mm-hmm. to rep- improve their lives. Yeah. And I really believe that. Yeah, I was thinking of the friend that I mentioned earlier in the episode and like one way of talking about my hope for him is that I hope that he experiences queer liberation. Like he's a, he's a yes. cis person, but I believe that the queer liberation that I experienced is something that he can be liberated by as well. Like you said, to have a healthier relationship with himself like you know patriarchy heteronormativity like you know queer people women like we're the primary targets of it but everybody's hurt by it like including straight or cishet white men like my Mm -hmm. friend is and like i want 
everyone to experience the the liberation from those oppressive systems of like thought and practice that we've we've at least experienced uh liberation from the systems of thought but like we know we're still in a capitalist society absolutely yeah yeah like we we still need to have the evangelism episode but like part of why i was never a good evangelist growing up was that i didn't believe in what i was selling like i didn't love Mm. christianity and so like why would anybody be compelled to want what i have well, and also, all of a sudden, we were all supposed to be like the best salesmen ever. I know, right? And like, right? I was personally, and we'll talk about this more on evangelism, but it's just funny to think like that is a natural gifting of mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a natural gifting of mine to want to tell people about things that I believe in. I cannot imagine how much harder it was for folks who are not extroverts or not sale uh, do not have the the skill of sales and all of a sudden they were supposed to be like the only thing that would make them worthy of the of the other christians around them was to be like this amazing evangelist hi <laughs> yeah but now that i think about like when we think about what we've built together like you know you've you've done an incredible job of building community um, and community that is sustainable and helpful for people. And like, we've, we've taken, we've, you know, as things have changed, we've taken turns, Mm -hmm. you know, like we've, we've, we've changed things up so that it can more suit um, the people that we're, we're catering to um, that we love Um, you guys, you listeners. And it's, it's interesting to think about like in this world that we live in now, you're, you're a superstar. Like, and yet where we came from, you were the one that was like, come on, man. Like, why can't you fit the mold? Right. Like, come on. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. I think we could t- be, t- we could talk about this all day long and i think part of it is because we miss each other and we haven't been able to have a good conversation in a (laughs) minute but um i'm really i feel like we could even do a second episode and i think evangelism is a good second episode to this almost because you know talking about faith in action like prefacing and talking about faith but really we talked a lot about faith in action i'm excited to talk about some of the ways that we can actually you know, what does evangelism look like? What does faith in action look like here and now as queer folks who may or may not subscribe to the faith at this point? Mm-hmm. Like what are ways that we can love the world? Right. Is really the question yeah. <laughs> while still loving ourselves. Sounds good to me. You know, cool. Well guys, I, I was trying to change things up and start talking at the top of the episode about our patreon and all the ways that you can help and support us but you know i forgot because i was excited about (laughs) talking about faith um but if you believe in what we're doing if you support um a lot of the ideas that we were talking about just in this episode alone please if you're able to buy more than you know a couple cups of coffee a month please at least consider giving us five dollars a month um but if you can do more than that we would love it it helps us to be able to keep this thing going. Um, both Jack and I are not, we're both putting our heart and soul into this and it, it can be hard work. Mm-hmm. And uh, as much as we are passionate and love it. And so every little bit helps. Also, we have merch. So um, we have the shirts. Hopefully you'll be able to see more of those um, soon on more people. Uh, I got to put out a couple of shipments last week, and uh, it was really exciting to be moving forward in this way. And uh, so if you're interested, please go to our website at lavmafia.com. You can find our Patreon on Tip a Bitch in the right-hand corner. (laughs) And... um, 
If you want to find us on social media, feel free to look us up at Lav Mafia on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook. You can find us at the Lavender Mafia podcast community. Please join us. We have an incredible, incredible community. And we um, also meet on Thursdays in person with Jack at All Saints if you're in the Los Angeles area. And then we meet um, online on our Discord channel. So if you want to engage with other queer folks who have probably grown up the way that you have, it's a great opportunity. And we just have a really beautiful neurodivergent very trans space that is safe and our our folks really celebrate it mm-hmm. and and celebrate each other and it makes me really happy <laughs> <laughs> to see the way that um they support and love each other in our community so please join us is there anything else i need to say jack or have i covered it all <laughs> i think you've got it all right sweet well hope you have an amazing week gorgeous babes be fierce keep the faith and don't fuck it up Our amazing music is written and produced by Evan Coles of Springwood Productions. Speaking of Springwood, I just want to thank them for recording, mixing, and producing our audio. Without them, this podcast wouldn't be happening. Springwood is made up of passionate creatives who are really easy to work with and professional, and they really know their stuff. So if you need anything like video or audio production or they can really do anything to help your music or business. Like they got me Taco Bell one time, for God's sake. So go check them out at springwoodproductions.com.